Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Barbara L. Jones is a lifelong Detroiter and a community activist, organizer, and youth violence prevention advocate. She's a community dispute resolution specialist and faculty instructor for the Center for Peace and Conflict Studies program at Wayne State University. Barbara has over 22 years of broadcast media advertising and marketing experience. She's also the program director for the Ralph Bunch Summer Institute a program that delivers expertise, training, and a higher learning academic setting that provides high school youth development services that focus on civic engagement, conflict resolution, violence prevention, bullying, diversity, civil rights, race relations, negotiations, leadership, international affairs, diplomacy, social justice, and crucial life skills with the overarching theme and tools of how to teach students to individually and collectively foster peace within their own schools and communities. She has worked with the Boggs Center to nurture community leadership as housing coordinator and served as a caregiver for legendary activist Grace Lee Boggs the final years of her life. Barbara mentors and advocates for the youth in Detroit and in the metro Detroit area in a variety of capacities in schools and of organizations. Barbara, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? You know, I'm doing okay. My daughter um, is, you know, still here visiting from Colorado, and I got my grandkids, so um, hopefully... (laughs) And um, try to keep them a little quiet. And I thought about, you know, how how do we heal things in in that? And part of what public art does, it helps with mm-hmm. that, you know. Mm-hmm. 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 And it's so funny that you mentioned that. I mean, I don't know whether you. Mm-hmm. It, it's and it, it, it kind of just ties into you know the the, the work that I do. Um, on so many different levels as far as, mm-hmm. you know, community dispute resolution specialist. That's my official title of mm-hmm. what I hold at Wayne State University for the Center for Peace and Conflict Studies and also teaching social justice activism. But, you know, our community um, has really been um, rooted mm-hmm. in art and activism. That's how we were able to express you know, ourselves, you know, from a historical standpoint, 
Um, and art ties into so much. It ties into trauma. It ties into healing. It ties into our history, our legacy, our ancestors. Um, it ties into the issues as it relates to, you know, uh, uh, injustices that our community has suffered. And it's almost like all things Detroit um, because artists all over the globe connect uh-huh. to Detroit in some way, shape, or form. And when we talk from a historical standpoint, I mean, let's just talk about, you know, how, uh, you know, art, um, even though our art isn't appreciated, it's not recognized, it's not um, – uh, it is public, um, but it's also private um, mm-hmm. um, as well. But I believe that because of what our people have gone through uh, since uh, we were um, stolen, captured, enslaved, mm-hmm. um, that's how we were able to express our grief. I mean, art is healing. Um, art is trying to make sense of uh, who we are and our purpose. I mean, it draws from so many different things. Um, art as resistance, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, injustices. Um, but it all ties into where we're from, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and those connections um, from a historical standpoint. Um, I'm an artist in my dreams. I can, I love to, <laughs> you know, write. One of my things that I really like to do as it relates to art is coloring. Um, you know, of course, I haven't, you know, had the training or, you know, the study or the, you know, education. I know what I like. Um, I know uh, what I want to attempt to do. I know what I appreciate when I look at other artists' work. Um, I know what it means to me. I, I, I know what it, the art is trying to say and how it's speaking for our community. Um, so art is social justice. Um, art and music uh, mm-hmm. and activism and protests and sit-ins and, you know, it, 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 it's a creative way of dealing with our historical uh, pain. And now it's taking a, no, a whole different level when we talk about the digital art, you know, the digital mm-hmm. mediums and so many different mediums. So, uh, yeah, art is so important. Well, you know, one of the things and things that I can remember in the early days of Detroit Summer, which is one of the things that, you know, we have a connection through, yeah. is like we did murals. And one of the reasons why people were really surprised that, you know, our murals didn't, weren't, Tad, you know, like when they did it, but in part because there was that community conversation, mm-hmm. like what what would you like to see? What do you want to express? And I know that there was one that we did in Southwest Detroit, and um, when we we looked at the spot, the neighbors were like, you know, there's there's rival gang activities. This one doesn't like that one. But there was that time when we pulled everyone together and to have these conversations about what what did they want to say about their community, and that went up in that. And mm-hmm. it was not tagged, but like how you were saying, it's a way when you talk about 
how art as far as conflict resolution, as far as bringing communities together, that I think that it's, it's really important, you know, that we remember that. And I think especially with young people now because I don't think that young people, and I know you work a lot with young people, young people often, they aren't given credit for their art. You know, some people look at graffiti and they go like, oh, we're just scribbling something, or they, they won't appreciate their music or their mm-hmm. poetry and how they're doing. And um, all of this is art. And as part of historically, when you go back to revolution and social change, at the heart of it has been artists. Yes, yes, yes. I believe that's what ties us um, in many ways and in different forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ties us together universally um, from all walks of life um, mm-hmm. to be able to have that curiosity about a uh, a spoken word, some poetry, uh, a, a, a drawing, a uh, splash with a paintbrush, you know, that says something on a blank, you know, canvas. Um, I think it's um, we, we can draw from so many of these different narratives, and you are exactly right, Michelle, as it relates to youth. Um, that's, you know, my grandson, you know, is here, and that's what he does. He's 11 years old, and one of the things that he loves to do is draw, um, whether it's manga characters or freehand or, you know, anything cartoonish or drawing a picture of his mom or, you know, me or, you know, that's that expression. And I believe that we have to tap into our young people because they are saying something. Um, And I think as adults, we have to continue to mentor them and ask them, you know, what what are you trying to express in this drawing or this piece of art? Um, and, and, And you just punched it, you know, really, really well, is that we have to support our young people, and I don't agree, I mean, I do agree um, that they're not given the opportunities or the space. Um, We we see how art has been pulled out of our public schools, which, Mm -hmm. you know, art and music um, has just been, you know, uh, eroded uh, from our schools. Um, and we have to do a better job. I believe it's our responsibility, you know, as adults and as mentors, as parents, as community members, as neighbors, um, as educators, you know, from all walks of life that we encourage and we continue um, to lift up our young people. And we need to have these conversations with them. We need to ask them. Our curiosity has to be sparked on the message um, that they're saying, that that they're, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, communicating to us. I mean, art is communication. And Mm -hmm. you you, you even said, you know, as far as the graffiti, how um, some may think that it's a, um, that it's a nuisance or it's um, 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 desecration of a, a wall or a railroad or 
or, you know, the tagging. Um, but it, it's not. You really have to look at the message uh, mm-hmm. of, of what's being conveyed um, and, and ask questions. We have to ask questions, and I don't think our curiosity uh, peaks enough. You know, I think when it comes to elevating our young people um, in art and, and just listening uh, to them, um, we have to be open to what they're mm-hmm. saying. I, you know, my children uh, have made me aware of so many different things. I've learned so much. It's just being a mother and observing mm-hmm. children. Um, and, yeah, uh, it, uh, my, my kids made, made me a better person uh, mm-hmm. to really be able to listen to them. You know, you, like me, are from Detroit, and I know that there was a time, I mean, when you thought of, I mean, and I know many people who now, when they think back about Detroit, you know, they think about music, you know, of course, Motown, but there was music, there was, but it seemed like something happened here, and I know, like, my brother played the drums, and I know that... um, but there was that encourage, discouragement to go into those professions, even though this is what we've done. And it was like you need to do something where you can get a, a real job, which many artists have heard. And, and I know we have exported so many of our artists, our musicians, because there's a part where it was difficult to make it here. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I see younger people now who are picking that up, you're from Detroit. You've seen this. Now, as you're doing your work and you're looking at communities, how do you remind people to get back in touch with it, that this is part of our, our heritage, you know, or this is part of who we are? That's a very interesting question, um, Michelle. Um, I can only answer it in a way of uh, my lived experiences and how I grew up uh, being uh, born, raised, uh, and I've never lived anywhere else except for uh, Detroit. And I grew up in church. Um, Church was where... We got the music, and uh-huh. and 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 you know, I, I, based off of how I grew up, uh, some music was off limits that would just you know be played in the household. I mean, it wasn't full church music or full gospel music. We found our ways to be able to <laughs> listen to secular music. Uh-huh. Um, music was always a part of uh, my upbringing, from church to my grandmother. Um, uh, pay for piano lessons. I, you know, played classical piano uh, for eight years. That's how I grew up. So that was just a part of our lifestyle, our home, our upbringing. Um, So my folks and my family, they encouraged um, music. Um, Of course, you know, maybe specific 
genres of music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but nevertheless, mm-hmm. it was still, you know, uh, music. Um, uh, many of my friends who I grew up with, went to school with, um, elementary, middle, high school, and college, um, they all played music. Um, my daughter was inspired to play music uh, beginning in elementary school. I was a band mother, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my daughter, uh, my only daughter, uh, my, my oldest daughter, uh, played for uh, Spain Middle School. Uh, she started off loving the clarinet, and then, you know, from that, uh, she learned how to play alto sax. From that, she learned how to play French horn. Uh, From that, you know, she's traveled all around the country in marching band and in concert band, Um, and I've educated both of my uh, my kids uh, in Detroit public schools. Um, I don't know whether you remember back in the day when we had the Broad Street Parade where we had these huge competitions of the best you know, bands in, mm-hmm. in high school. So that's just always been a part of uh, my upbringing, my life. And as I, you know, uh, became a, a parent um, and my daughter having the desire uh, to want to play music, and I bought every, uh, between me and my mom, her uh, grandparents, we we bought every instrument that she wanted uh, to learn uh, how to play. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know whether it, 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 it really gets to the heart of your question. It's just always been in my mm-hmm. and, and, and in my family and my lived experience. Um, music was always an integral uh, part of family life, of coming together, whether, you know, my family gave, you know, uh, uh, parties or whether it was a tea, you know, at, you know, my grandmother's church or in the backyard, mm-hmm. music has always been uh, a part of it. And, and again, uh, many of my dear friends are musicians. Um, mm-hmm. And um, they play for, you know, locally to where even, you know, church members, they play for major artists such as Neo and Chaka Khan and mm-hmm. uh, The Temptations. So that's just always been in, in my DNA. And that's how we connected. That's how, mm-hmm. you know, that's how we grew up, listening to music. One of my dear friends who I grew up with, um, um, that's how we became friends because she had a record player and she had the latest albums and and I would go over her house to, to, to listen to, to secular music because all that was going on in my dream was church music. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well you know, I, I know exactly what you mean because you know you know, I remember my parents having parties and, and that there were songs and being in talent shows. And but then, you know, recently I talked to Marquita Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, who is the band director at Castet. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, and she took over from someone who had been the band director when she had gone to Castet. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yes. one of the things that she came and she was talking about was like, you know, not having uniforms, not having 
musical instruments, not having, and how much have been disinvested in that program. I mean, you know, and when you think of, I mean, after the school, for, before the school for, for performing arts, there was chaos, and that's where, you know, you heard of a lot of these musicians had gone through chaos. I mean, and it was just like, I had to say, you don't have uniform, you, you need music, musical instruments, you know, yes. and how few kids were involved in it. And it's like, and she said, well, the focus has been on, you know, these other fields and not the music, which seemed, I don't know, kind of very contradictory to me from what I know about Detroit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And um, what, what's the young lady's name that you just mentioned? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Marquita Moore. Marquita Moore, uh, mm-hmm. band director over at Cass Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, and... Um, I went to Cass Tech. I only did ninth and tenth grade at Cass. I ended up graduating from Immaculata. But she is exactly right. And the reason why I know that, because I was a band mom um, from elementary to high school, and we would have fundraisers for band uniforms. We would have fundraisers for instruments. We would, you know, depend on uh, alumni, you know, from 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 these schools to really, um, you know, help raise funds so we can make so we could make sure that each kid had an instrument when it was time to travel. Um, each kid had uh, a band uniform, and these things and these items are not cheap. They're so. Mm-hmm. Expensive. Um, you know, some schools uh, in Detroit, you know, suffered more than others from a financial standpoint because uh, music and arts was just so disinvested uh, in. Um, and it's a struggle. And not only that, we're talking about uniforms. We're talking about instruments. We're talking about traveling. We're talking about renting buses. We're um, I, I remember one year, uh, we always sold dinners, uh, especially in Spain, uh, mm-hmm. where uh, Dr. Uh, Miller, who uh, left Spain and went to King, uh, uh, King High School, and I believe uh, Ms. Miller's still at uh, King uh, High School um, as their band director. I remember one year where my daughter uh, uh, um, the band was traveling to Ghana uh, to perform. Mm-hmm. And even traveling, you know, the expenses as far as uh, plane fare and hotel and food and, you know, supplies and chaperones, um, you know, all these things, you know, were needed. And, um, you know, I, and I can say that I came and grew up with a true village. You know, we mm-hmm. all helped each other. Community got together, whether we're selling dinners to water to candy, um, and everybody did their part to make sure that these young folks had everything that they needed. Um, and it was pretty much the basics. You know, it wasn't anything extravagant mm-hmm. to make sure that they were able to uh, fulfill that 
that promise, to fulfill that dream, to fulfill um, their love for music and performing and band and 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 and, and the cohesiveness uh, of being in a community. Um, and yes, with with the disinvestment and the pulling back and the nullification of arts and music, yes, we have lost it. We now we depend on private and philanthropic, you know, dollars to, you know, uh, offset, you know, those costs. But I can tell you, when community <laughs> operates as community, nobody is left out, whether mm-hmm. it's a, a parent or, or or a student or young person that didn't have financial means. We made sure that everybody had the opportunity to be a part of something that was massive, that was big, that brought everyone together uh, as well. And, again, music is universal. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the competition uh, and seeing other folks, uh, seeing other young people inspired by their peers uh, to be better, to play better, to study harder, uh, to be disciplined, you know, to, 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 to eat well, to rest well, um, and yes, we we've lost that, Michelle, and mm-hmm. and it's sad. It, it, it's sad. The more we lose, the more our kids lose. The more our young people lose, um, and and it's hard to, you know, get it all back to the way it once was. Um, and it shouldn't even be that hard because these young people deserve it. Mhm. Mhm. Now, like you know, we have several things that come. Like we both grew up in Detroit. We both went to, to although mine slipped. I mean, I started out in, in Catholic school and then went to public school for high school. I, I finished at CAS and started out in, in Catholic school. We both have kids who went to Detroit public schools. And you've watched, and we, and you know, and we both share a commitment to the city of Detroit. One of our other intersections is like the Bog Center, which is like about community. Yes. You have been here, and you're still here, and you're still working here. What is it that you see that is that fertile soil that's here in Detroit? Because I'll tell you, I have talked to people from around the country, and many of them through or came from but or spent some time in Detroit and there's something that stuck with them as they went on and they said oh yeah but you know when I was in Detroit you know they might not have stayed there but it was something that they got out of that community what do you see from your not only living and growing up here but working in community what is it that's in this fertile soil that keeps creating change, changing thought, building community? Ooh, that's a lot, Michelle. <laughs> um, and, and I'm going to be very transparent and very honest. Um, I've tried to leave Detroit on three occasions, uproot, move, relocate, you know, career, wanting to change, you know, never – uh, living anywhere else outside mm-hmm. of Detroit. Mm-hmm. 
And each time that I tried to leave, uh, something catastrophic happened to where um, I had to stay. Um, I'm all about family. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a homegrown girl. Uh Um, And family is, you know, very, very important. And I got discouraged because, you know, I'm seeing all of my friends leaving the city. I'm seeing, you know, people that I've worked with, you know, relocating. Um, I've seen, you know, a lot of people fleeing, even if they, you know, left Detroit to go to the suburbs. Uh, But many have left for various reasons uh, because of what Detroit has experienced uh, for several uh, decades. Uh, whether is it whether due to the uh, the loss of um, different sectors such as manufacturing, you know, automotive, uh, better opportunities, better salaries, income, um, property, um, you know, all of the things that um, are the can be sources of conflict um, um, as well. You know, education. Mm-hmm. Um, so. With me attempting to uh, leave, I, 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 I stay due to, you know, commitments and family, uh, um, family issues. And in my lifetime uh, here, um, you know, I've just watched things, you know, just become different. And then raising my children here, um, and I did not want my children to just, you know, not see any parts of the world or see what else, you know, is out here outside of the, you know, where they grew up uh, and lived mm-hmm. and, 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 and thrived and being educated and um, opportunities. So I definitely encourage, you know, my daughter to, you know, travel, uh, see what it's like outside of um our bubble here in Detroit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then you always want more for your children than you want more opportunities uh, for your children than, you know, opportunities that, you know, you may, you know, have or have not uh, had. So just based off of seeing the change um, in, you know, our neighborhoods and and the loss of the economic um, the economic uh, issues, um, there's no more middle class. You know, you're either you're wealthy or you're poor. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no more, you know, in, the, in between. And, uh, you know, Detroit is, is, is gritty. I mean, Detroit is, uh, Detroit, I think you have to have a lot of, uh, Stanima, I believe and know that you have to have a lot of Stanima uh, to uh, be in Detroit. But at the same time, Detroit has gone through many cycles um, as well. Um, but we've also stayed stagnant um, in some things uh, uh, as well. Uh, I mean, we're looking at the education system. We're looking at the economics here. We're looking at poverty. We're looking at redlining. We're looking at violence. Um, you know, not in that particular order, but mm-hmm. you, know, you know, all the sources 
uh, of conflict uh, that uh, families um, um, are dealing with, uh, insecure, you know, housing, unaffordable housing, you know, the issues of uh, 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 tainted and unaffordable water, you know, just basic things that I believe that we all should be afforded uh, to uh, the wage inequity. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we have, you know, families here that, you know, are working three jobs, you know, just to, you know, pay rent. Um, you know, the, the, the issues and the challenges are vast in Detroit, uh, but yet there is a spirit um, about Detroit that is like no other. Uh, mm-hmm. And that resides with the people. Um, that resides with the community. Neighborhoods are nothing without people. Communities are nothing without people. Uh, schools are nothing without people, educators, children, um, opportunities. Um, growth is nothing without people. Consumerism is nothing without people. But when the folks in the city of Detroit and the the, the outliers uh, as far as, um, you know, the suburbs, Mm -hmm. the disparities are are vast and the disparities are obvious and the politics are tough here (laughs) in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it, it's a lot, Michelle. Oh, yeah. I, I've, I've managed to, uh, to to have been here 56 years, um, and the people, uh, uh, even when I was trying to leave, when people talked me uh, into not leaving or people encouraged me, yeah, you need to get out of Detroit, Um uh, the support and the love uh, based off of um, what I wanted to do, um, what I needed to do um, as a single black mother mm-hmm. uh, to be able to um, uh, provide, you know, for my children, provide for myself. If I couldn't provide for myself, there was no way that I could uh, provide for my children uh, to protect them to uh, create uh, safety, um, uh, you know, for them um, mm-hmm. and to be in an area where there are vast opportunities. But, again, you know, we have racial uh, inequities. We have uh, uh, economic inequity. We have gender inequity. And I think it's, uh, it, it's tough here. Uh, in Detroit, not saying that any major urban city are not experiencing these things because we have evidence, we have numbers, we have data, we have statistics, uh, we have inquiries. Um, um, but, you know, at the same time, um, our systems and our structures um, and our institutions are, are, are failing, all of mm-hmm. us, um, mm-hmm. especially our children. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to take a, a quick break, okay. and um, then I want to talk some more. I mean, we have so much to come, and it just amazes me. Um, I'm...
This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. Back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, talking with Barbara L. Jones. You know, like I said, there is so much that we have in common. My son, you know, I mean, I think that I left, I don't even think for a year, tried in Atlanta, but what I found that I missed was that sense of having family and community around, and at that point, he was young. Um, but I also encouraged him. So when he went off to college, he went to Chicago, stayed in Chicago. Now he lives in New York. You know, he, he's, he's traveled. When he comes home and he brought his partner and they were, he, he had stories about Detroit, even though he would say, you know, you might not see this now, but this is where, and there is the barber shop, and we went there. And, then, and he has these stories about community here in Detroit. And even though he's lived in these other cities, there are certain things that weren't the same, like how we have the single-family homes and how we're, he said, this is where my grandmother lived, and this is, you know, and and riding around the block where some places are really dense and that. We have that history, and and part of it hurts him to see how it is, but it also has given him a perspective in the other places that he's been. When your children come home to visit and bring their kids, do they come back and have those stories about this community that they they grew up with, with their band mom taking us here and there, and people coming together to get them the equipment so that they could participate in these things? You know, that's, that's we do have so much in common. <laughs> so much in common. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter is uh, 38, 39. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three grandchildren. Um, I lost my son uh, in 2017 at the age of 24. And my daughter's home visiting now uh, from Colorado. She's been, in, she's been living in Colorado for the last 10 years. Uh, she knows what she's coming home to, whether it's to, you know, uh, experience Coney Island, White Castle, you know, <laughs> home cooked food from family, you mm-hmm. know, um, our, 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 our parks, um, you know, our neighborhood. Um, these are the things that, you know, we talk on a daily basis about what she misses. And she went down to, uh, uh, just last week, uh, downtown, um, and she comes home at least, you know, two to three times a year. Um, And every time she comes home, you know, it's different staple things that she has to do, um, things that she wants to take 
my grandchildren to experience. My grandson, my firstborn grandson, Braylon, was actually born in Detroit, but, you know, relocated. Uh, when they relocated, he was a year old. My granddaughter was born in Colorado. So everything so new, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything so new to her um, um, as well. And one of the things that my daughter was very upset about uh, when she uh, took the kids uh, to um, Belle Isle and the Riverwalk was just how, I, you know, I don't know whether it's because we're, well, I know it's in the age of COVID, uh, COVID-19, um, and what we're experiencing, which I, you know, uh, many of us, some of us have labeled COVID-16, 19, that it's different. She called me um, uh, video, and she says, Ma, I'm, I'm, I'm walking, you know, and the kids are, you know, they're in awe about little things. You know, they don't have a lot of water in Colorado. So, you know, the water is what, you know, draws us uh, mm-hmm. being from Detroit. Uh, and we're bordering, you know, uh, we're, you know, we border another country. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many things. Um, that is so special about Detroit. But as she was walking and she's just observing, and, you know, uh, my daughter is very, uh, I believe that she's very, uh, she has a lot of discernment. Um, um, she's a people person, you know, she's a social being like, you know, I am. And she felt just a different type of connection. Um, just being at home, this is her home. This is, you know, she's lived other places, but home is home. Home is where the heart is. Home is where you feel comfortable. Home is where you can just, you know, just kind of relax and just experience things, you know, from present day to the nostalgia going back to your childhood, Um, you know, even down to the neighborhood. You know, she's like, ma, it's just different. And I was like, well, yeah, it, it, it is different. Um, and one of the, the, the distinctions that she did make was that um, she, says, she says, I just don't feel that sense of community anymore. Mm-hmm. And she said, she says, Ma, I feel disrespected. Mm-hmm. Those were her exact words to me. Mm-hmm. I feel disrespected. And I just said, yeah, I, I could not, you know, formulate the words to, you know, fix it or make it better uh, because these observations, you know, are, are, are real and they're true on, you know, what she felt and what she experienced. And, um, you know, she felt hurt by that. Mm-hmm. And um, I understood uh, and I understand, and like I said, because we are where we are in present day with COVID-19 and COVID-16-19, but just to feel, you know, <laughs> when you come home, you know, you, 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 you want to experience. So just like she felt about how your son felt when he came home and, you know, uh, even, you know, your son bringing friends home and the things that he wants to show and brag and, 
and, hey, you know, this is my home, and let me show you where I grew up. You know, I, you know, it sounds to me, Michelle, that he shared that same disappointment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that my daughter had. And mm-hmm. maybe they're around the same age. Yeah. Uh, uh, at least it sounds like they're in the same generation. Yeah, they're, the same, they're around the same age. You know, he's a couple years older, yeah. This is mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. This is real. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's real. Mm-hmm. Uh, from our neighborhoods to uh, our safety to our comfort to what we know um, to be home, um, and, and, and many other things that I'm not even naming, um, it's real. But I do feel, um, and, and based off of, you know, how we share um, our uh, folks that we know mutually in common, you mm-hmm. know, with Gracie Box and at the Box Center, um, I actually got to uh, say this really quick, Michelle, because it kind of goes back to what we were talking about. One of the times when I was actually leaving to leave Detroit, I'm relocating to Arizona. I had uh, experienced unemployment, you know, I lost my job. Um, I'm just kind of ready to go. I'm looking for, you know, ways um, and, and, and new opportunities. I just and my youngest son graduated from high school. Uh, I got him out of here, too, because uh, I wanted him to experience uh, a, a part of the world um, outside of being in Detroit. And when I sold my home, packed up everything, gave away what I couldn't sell, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to experience, and I'm also fearful because I've never lived anywhere <laughs> outside mm-hmm. of Detroit. Um, my stepmom got sick. She was going to help me relocate. Two weeks before I was going to get on the road to leave, my stepmom had a stroke. And that put everything, that stopped everything. Um, I'm very close to my stepmom and my dad. My mom's deceased. And um, I'm the only sibling here. My two brothers, once they graduated from high school, they left um, <laughs> the military and they made California their home. Um, I'm the only one that say that. Hey, hey uh, you know, I, I, you're singing my jam. You know, my brothers out there in California now. You know, really? <laughs> yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they were like, you know, I'm getting out of Detroit. I'm just mm-hmm. time to go, and I don't want to come back uh, to live. I'll come home to visit. But, um, you know, going back, you know, to me in the midst of relocating, and I'm like, man, it's my time, it's my time. My stepmother, you know, had a stroke, and there was no way that I was going to leave my dad and my stepmom. And now I'm finding myself like, okay, do I have to move back in with my parents? Now, my parents downsized their home, you know, in Detroit. They're up in age. They both retired from automotive, um, from the plants. Um, uh, my kids are, you know, grown, and, you know, they're in Colorado. And now look at me. I'm like, oh, my God. I, I got to, you know, do my caregiving responsibilities, um, I'm homeless. I don't want to move back in with my parents, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I just 
finished my master's program in dispute uh, conflict and dispute resolution um, at Wayne State University, um, and I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And one of my dear friends who I do a lot of uh, activism work, uh, anti-violence and sort of justice work, heard that I was not leaving and said, uh, said I want to have a meeting with you. And then we had a conversation, and uh, she said, you know, Gracefully Bond was, you know, looking for a caregiver. Um, I know that you were trying to leave. Um, what's going on? Would you be interested? I was like, Gracie Box, and my dad worked with Jenny Box mm-hmm. uh, at Chrysler. Um, uh, my dad and Jimmy Box knew each other very well, and I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? So you know, I knew who Gracie Box was, but I hadn't met her. I you know read all of her books, knew who she was. Uh, you know, a just a huge huge community-oriented person, an icon, you know, all over the country, let alone mm-hmm. right here in Detroit. And I um, met with Grace. We, it was like I had an interview with her and, uh, <laughs> and one of the bond board members. And next thing you know, I'm uh, caretaking for Grace Lee Bob. Mm-hmm. From the end of November 2011, um, I just recently, uh, up until Grace's passing in, in 2015, um, and I felt so connected to Grace because of my grandmother. I'm named after my grandmother. My grandmother was a huge social justice activist in the faith-based community uh, and in the political realm you know, here uh, in the city of Detroit. They were born in the same year. Um, they share so many <laughs> different mm-hmm. philosophies. So it was like, okay, I've been here before. You know, this is like my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was our relationship. Um, uh, but I, I took care of Grace uh, and, 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 and took care of the bog board members. And, you know, I lived in the house on Field Street up until uh, – February of 2020. So I stayed long after uh, Grace's uh, passing um, and the relationships um, that I had made not only, you know, with Grace and so many people uh, through the Box Center. You know, they're like my family uh, mm-hmm. as well. So I just had to say that because uh, mm-hmm. I just had to give you one example. One of the times I tried to, you know, uh, uh, leave Detroit and, you know, my connection with you um, as far as, you know, the mutual dear people that we know um, um, as well. Do you know, do you, you know, your line, what you went, your field of study, and you just talked about, you know, your, your grandmother, the people who you knew, your grandfather worked with Jimmy Boggs, all these people, and, and all this social No, my justice, dad worked with Jimmy Your Bob. dad worked with mm-hmm. him. So social justice, it was like, whether you knew it or not, you were dead in the middle of the sea of social justice. Did this influence you when you decided on what you wanted to do with your life, your field of study? Yes. 
uh, social justice is in mm-hmm. my DNA. I was birthed mm-hmm. into this, you know. <laughs> uh, I, and mm-hmm. I say this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I knew that I couldn't, you know, get away from the activism. Um, that's pretty much all I knew. Um, you know, I have a legacy book that uh, my grandmother, my dad's mom, a huge legacy book. And, you know, I remember my grandmother had a beautiful home on West Grand Boulevard at Moore Place. Um, that was the home where everybody, you know, it was like Grace Lee, Grace Lee Bond, <laughs> where everybody, you know, my grandmother <laughs> was the same way from, you know, Ozzie Davis to Rosa Parks to mm-hmm. uh, Loretta Scott King to, you know, they, you know, they, they were in the same trenches. Um, but, it was, you know, for my grandmother was, you know, the church. It was the interfaith, you know, community. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Irma Henderson, you know, yeah. have it. I mean, I'm going back, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Clyde Cleveland, I mean, uh, Ken Cockrell, um, mm-hmm. these folks grew up in, I mean, these folks were in our home. It was just like natural. You know, I'm a kid and I'm growing up in this. So, yes, Michelle, I was pretty much, you know, uh, birthed in, uh, to social justice activism. And one thing that my grandmother did um, was, you know, she was an advocate for young people and education um, and you know, from the NAACP to the March of Dimes to the Women's Economic Club to, um, you know, just so many things. And when I showed Grace my legacy book, um, and she was like, oh, my goodness. And I'm named after my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm like, yeah, this, this was, this was uh, I said, I'm pretty spiritual. <laughs> I'm pretty faithful. Uh, I, I, I am a woman of God. And I said, this was not, you know, by happenstance. This was, this opportunity for me, you know, to be with Grace was, I believe, uh, predestined, you know, to Mm -hmm. still flow in how, you know, I grew, how I learned. Um, And young people, I mean, that connection Grace had with young people, you know, uh, with Detroit Summer and so many things uh, uh, that she did, um, that's how, I was raised, and that's what my grandmother did. She was an advocate for young people. And and based off of, you know, what I went back to school for, you know, I was a young parent, um, a parent at 16, a mother uh, at 16 uh, years old. Um, and I did things the opposite way. I started my career because I needed to, you know, raise my, my daughter and my son mm-hmm. 11 years later. But the support of family and education was always first in my family. But since I went a different route, um, I started my career and got my education on the back end. And mm-hmm. um, it has served me well because I had an opportunity, uh, you know, I didn't have any other choice, but to be able to, you know, uh, secure employment, to be able to provide, uh, you know, as a mother. And um, when my son uh, came along, uh, my kids, I call them my two only kids because they're 11 years old. <laughs> that's cute. That's cute. Yes. Uh-huh. And it's my only girl and my only boy. Uh-huh. And uh, the, 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 the time and the space uh, between my kids and how I had to operate 
and we had to operate as a unit. I've always had the family support. Uh, but as a young, you know, black mother, uh, single mother, raising, you know, two kids, you know, being my two kids had to operate, you know, as a support unit just so I could be able to do the things that I needed to do. So when I decided to go back to school um, to get my finish my undergrad, then I went for my master's, um, and I went with an intention in getting my master's in conflict and dispute resolution uh, was because uh, when I did that, my son was um, – uh, leaving middle school and going into high school. And my son is, uh, and it's so hard for me to talk about him in the past, Michelle. Uh, uh-huh. it, it just really, really is. Um, I had this unique child uh, who uh, had different needs um, than other kids. I don't like calling young people or kids with special needs, you know, special needs kids. I call them unique uh-huh. uh, with very unique abilities. So when I, um, you know, just really started paying attention to, you know, uh, the decimation of our schools, I mean, we uh, were on our way into emergency management, you know, from the state level um, back in 2006, 2007. Uh, Schools were closing down, and it was just, you know, it was just chaos during that time. And the level of bullying and fighting and violence and, you know, uh, all of these things that our young people uh, experience, you know, the the bullying was, you know, we had bullies back in our day, but, you know, the bullying is a Uh a whole different level. Yeah. Um, You know, over the last, you know, 25 years, Mm -hmm. uh, my son faced, you know, so much uh, violent bullying because of his special needs. And I went, when I went into my master's program, and Wayne State, you know, has this very unique program on dispute and conflict resolution um, on a graduate level, I said, I need to be able to get the theory and the education so I can teach my son better on how to be able to deal with conflict resolution, I mean, deal with conflict mm-hmm. on a violent level. So that's what attracted me to that program, and I knew then that I wanted to not only teach my son, but I, um, I aligned with other parents, you know, in the schools whose sons and daughters were experiencing the same level of bullying that my son was doing. And it was a small group of parents who you know, address all of these issues within the Detroit public schools because they've gotten out of control. And um, uh, we were figuring out ways how to address this level of violence within the schools. And, you know, with me going um, back to school, I wanted to get equipped from a theoretical standpoint to make it make sense and to come up with different ways on how to teach my son and to teach other kids how to resolve their issues in a peaceful manner. So that's how, you know, that degree, um, that uh, pursuance of that degree um, was for my son Uh, Uh and for other young people um, that, you know, still is in my DNA because that's what my grandmother really um, focused on was uplifting young people and to get these young people educated and to get them in college and 
um, all kind of things uh, to where they can, you know, continue on uh, to be great citizens, to be great human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I uh, came to do the work that I'm doing uh, today. And, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, it is, and it's been tough uh, trying to, you know, work with uh, these young people, but I've mentored and I have come across so many amazing young people and parents uh, to the point that uh, when it was very tough for me and still very tough for me to, you know, get, you know, these issues out, you know, they needed to know these skills, these lifelong skills, Michelle, mm-hmm. Um uh, outside of the the rigorous academics that they need to be <laughs> equipped with in order to uh, become uh, productive. You know, it's it's interesting how, you know how you say that you are where you are supposed to be. You know, part of how I knew Grace, um, I did a, a newsletter. And at that point, I met Grace because she was doing it for So Sad, which saves our son yeah. and daughters. Yeah. My grandmother was coming to Barb Hill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we just would pass in the night. But then from that, um, I, remember, I remember distinctly it was during the International Women's Day. I don't remember if I was – I think I was coming and she was leaving, and she said, this is something we're getting ready to do, and you need to be a part of it. But as I listened to you talk, I thought, here, Grace, you know, who didn't have biological children, but who was committed to building a world where it is, but here, you and Clementine both were also about that, making a world better for your children. And, I mean, many, I often remember, you know, when I heard Clementine's story, I was like, you know, I don't know if I could I could do anything else. I mean, I think I'd just be done. I mean, and here I listen to you, and here your goal was to make it a better place for your son, and even after his passing, you've continued this work. Oh, man. I tell you, Michelle, I quit it many, mm-hmm. many days, many days mm-hmm. where, um, and, 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 and Mother Barfield is, you know, a mentor. I remember when she lost her son. I think I was 18 years Mm -hmm. old when she lost her son and just couldn't really understand the issues of violence back then. I mean, I knew Mm -hmm. it it existed, but, you know, somehow, you know, I was shielded uh, from that. And not only shielded, we didn't have that level of violence. Yeah, it was different. When Mother mm-hmm. Parkville lost her son, I'm telling you, mm-hmm. I mean, the community rallied around her. I mean, it was, it was just different. And 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 just so you know, and I say this too as a part of my legacy and a part of my history. And it sounds really crazy, but I grew up around death. Um, my grandmother was the public relations director for McFarland Brothers Funeral Home. My mother was the administrative arm for McFar Brothers Funeral Home. My dad drove families uh, for funeral services at McFar Brothers Funeral Home. My mother was um, uh, one of the funeral directors at Trinity Cemetery. 
So I think that's where that compassion actually started because I grew up around death and sadness, and that built my, it wasn't sympathy, it built my empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, learning, you know, about, you know, Mother Barfield and uh, the, 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 the level of violence you know, that she experienced um, with the loss of her son. And then for me, uh, years, years later, to experience that pain, you know, and that hurt and, you know, fully understanding, even though I was a kid when this happened to her son, um, that Detroit still remains number one, two, or three in that area of violence, you know, Mm -hmm. um, um, as well. You know, that's, you know, I hate to say that's our identity, you know, the intersectionality of it all, along with this interconnected on all the beautiful things about Detroit uh, as well. Um, And then meeting you, um, uh, you know, in between all of this is, it's enough to it's enough to really just make you sit down and critically reflect what is going on. Not just from the Marvin Gaye song, but I swear I love you. I love art. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it it ties all of that in. You know, and I point. And I I know exactly what you mean because like what you were saying, like there's at one point I know that I can recall once we started doing. Detroit summer, one of the teenagers, one of her good buddies who was in school was shot and killed. And when we went to the funeral, I was thinking, like, you know, we had bullying. And I had heard of these, but at when I was 16, I didn't know anyone who had been shot because of bullying. You know, there yeah. might have been a fight or something like that. And that there was a change, you know, like the level has, has escalated and it's different to where now, I mean, you know, we've got people, you know, pulling knives and wanting to jump on someone about wearing a mask. But this is your work. I mean, this is what you're doing. How do you, I mean, as you see it escalating, how then do you look for solutions? <sighs> The only word right now that comes to mind in this moment, Michelle, is hope. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's hope. Um, this, what we're experiencing now with this level of violence from many different, I mean, from many different issues, from, from race to gender to poverty to economics, which, you know, economics drives a lot of violence, Uh, um, but our inability to really not talk to each other, um, you know, we're so quick to have these violent tendencies, whether it's in our language or the physical, you know, aspects. you know, I, I'm like you. Um, growing up, you know, if we, um, if there was a level of violence, it was very, very minimal, and you know, we didn't see that, and it wasn't in the community. And our elders 
and the village and the neighbors and the community, you know, banded together to, you know, have conversations with, you know, the people in the neighborhood that may have been causing havoc in the neighborhood. And uh, the young people respected the elders. Mm-hmm. They respected. They didn't do that in front of their ho- uh, their houses and their yards and the backyard. You know, you had to take that somewhere totally, you know, away from the community with children and, you know, mothers and families and, you know, all of that. Um, And, yes, the past serves us well from a historical standpoint. Um, History does repeat itself, but there's been so much uh, in between that has not been addressed um, as it relates to uh, the police and 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 um, the lack of jobs, uh, the lack of transportation, the lack of just basic necessities. Mm-hmm. I mean, Michelle, when you grew up, there was a supermarket. Thank you. Per block. Each block, and we're talking mm-hmm. about in the neighborhoods, like right in the heart of the neighborhood, let alone the main street, uh, mm-hmm. on every block um, that was affordable. And the store owners, um, they were community-oriented, you know, as well. Uh, I mean, we had swimmobiles. We had block parties. We had strong block clubs. We had community and so much more. We had rec centers. We had playgrounds, we had parks, we had things for kids to do, we had activities, mm-hmm. we had camps, we had, you know, family members and neighbors who looked out for the other kids and made sure that a child didn't go hungry. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, 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 if I have some food and my refrigerator is full of food, so is my neighbors, you know, who may not have gotten their check. You know, on time, mm-hmm. school went, you know, too fast because the kids are out for the summer, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. just so many things. We had so much support, and we did it ourselves. We did it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just see, you know, us getting back to these things. Um, but we got to solve a lot of these intergenerational issues, you know, too, Um um, we we have to tell our stories. We have to share the past. We have to pass them down. We have to make these connections um, from people outside of Detroit to the ones who have stayed in Detroit, committed to Detroit, um, who have passed their home down to their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. Um, you know, it's just so much that we grew up that, there isn't any more. Um, and I believe that, you know, our humanity calls for it. Um, yes, we're all individuals, but from a collective standpoint, we are a collective. Uh, we mm-hmm. are a village. We are a community. We are a neighborhood. Um, so I remain hopeful, even on my worst. Um, or I get a text from a student or one of my young people 
that's asking me for advice or I'm watching them graduate from college, you know, uh, 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 doing amazing things, whether it's starting their families to their careers. Um, but I've also witnessed, you know, um, loss, not just with my son. Um, I believe we are losing, not I believe, we are losing generations that should mm-hmm. be lost. Yep, yep. So I'm going to take my second break here, and then we'll be right back. Okay. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Collections by Michelle. I'm talking with Barbara Jones. You know, Barbara. You know, there are. It's amazing how you know people get it. I mean, and we have to talk about it. You know, I talked to a woman who um, was in Pontiac, and she talked about losing that. You know, that historical reference, that that caring about each other, about you know how she would say. If she had some food, her neighbor was going to have food, and to ask about this. As you look at what's happening, you know, there's, you know, I think that as horrible as this pandemic is and the lives that are lost, and the number of people who are getting, where the murder rate has gotten so high amongst police that we have this Black Lives Matter moment. It's like a Band-Aid has been ripped off. And do you see now... Is there a place for this type of healing, the healing that comes through the arts, through storytelling, through that shared need that gives you hope? Michelle, absolutely. In our pain of loss and everything that we've, you know, talked about um, and more, that because of where we are today, um, you know, from um, the issues of police brutality to, you know, all of the structural and systemic and institutional injustices uh, uh, along with the equity and economic injustices and, you know, more that I, you know, have not named yet, um, this is a reckoning and what uh-huh. we're dealing with. Um, this is a point of critical, critical self-reflection. Um, and, you know, we, we need to ask ourselves a, a, a series of questions. Um, you know, when I think and I look at my grandchildren, 
um, and, and, and you have grandchildren. We look at these young people. Um, I get sad because this is how not only things are, what are we leaving these young folks with? Mm-hmm. What are we leaving them with um, that's going to um, continue to encourage and motivate them um, and, and, and mentorship, um, you know, as it relates to um, us just being black folks and, and African Americans. I identify as uh, she, her, hers, um, black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I look at, you know, what am I leaving, you know, my daughter uh, with? young people, including my own and my grandchildren. Um, uh, what are we leaving them with? You know, what are we, uh, what are we pouring into them? What's not being poured into them? Um, uh, having them critically think, you know, about these issues and ways in which we can solve them. Um, and the solutions aren't going to be quick. They're not going to be rapid. They're not going to be immediate. Um, but, you know, teaching them and showing them not just the history, um, not just the narrative, not just the storytelling, but making these connections um, on how, you know, it's affecting all of us. I mean, everybody's hurting um, right now. Um, you know, especially with COVID, we've lost mm-hmm. so many of our community members, you know, our family members uh, to COVID, and we're not even able to memorialize them and funeralize them and celebrate their lives, um, especially in the black community. I'm speaking especially in the black community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not negating any other uh, ethnic identity or race. Uh, who's dealing with this, we know that COVID is affecting uh, African Americans and black folks at a disproportionate level, as well as other people of color. Um, You know, this trauma, this level of trauma that we're dealing with, that's not being addressed, Michelle. What are we leaving them with? What kind of hope are we leaving them with? And we have to self-reflect on what am I doing? What could I do? What can I do better? You know, I'm not always right. You know, I make mistakes. You know, how can I address these harms? How can I try to correct this harm? Um, And it starts, you know, with us, from our politicians and our elected officials who we entrust to represent us in a way Mm -hmm. that is, you know, we know some things are not by design. You know, we know that some things have been uh, uh, created, you know, to keep black folks and African Americans in a place of um, neglect and hopelessness. But there is hope out here, even in our worst moment. You know, the connections that you know, we have and having these discussions, we have to be able to 
to have these uncomfortable conversations and our, and our sadness and our grief and our trauma, um, especially, you know, in our joy and, and our victories, uh, because that's the evidence that we made it to another day, that we got through the next moment, that we are still breathing when other folks' breaths are taken away or cut down or cut short. You know, I I think it's important, too, that you said, you know, not to negate the fact that other people are dying, but, you know, I was telling someone at Mother's Day when my son and I finished our FaceTime, he said, be careful. I want you to be around. And I'm thinking to myself, that's what I always tell you. You know, from the time you were old enough to ride your bike by yourself, it's like, be careful, you know, to give him that talk. If someone that don't make it in. So this is what, and he's saying this to me, and the reasons why are all the things that really impact the black community. It's not to take away from anyone else. Right. But when you think about, you know, hunger, poverty, the fact that we, we have these food deserts where you, there is no store, and you've got this under... We are, it's like an even bigger bullseye on our back and that, you know, and it's not like, like you said, taken away from anyone. But if anything, not only to the world, but within our communities, it's like a reminder that these, there are all of these challenges. We're walking this tightrope, but we have to find a way, our way a black way, a black community way so that we're stronger for ourselves. And as we're stronger for ourselves, we're stronger for that beloved community that we want to have that is so inclusive of everyone. Yes, yes, yes. And we have to challenge. We, we have to challenge each other. And we have to challenge the, the, the powerful and the elites and the status quo. Um, and we can do that. Uh, we are a resilient people. Um, we, you know, whew, this is, uh, I'm going to say it in a way that um, I want to be mindful of how I say it and trying to make my point across, Michelle. Mm-hmm. You may need your help on that. Um, our, 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 how we came to be mm-hmm. um, has been put, has, been predestined for extinction as mm-hmm. well. But we are still here. Thank you. We are still here. We are still showing up. We are still present. We are still vocal. And that's what I challenge my young folks to do. You know, I challenge my, my elders and everybody here between uh, for that type of growth um, and to be open. Um, but to listen, you know, to also listen. And when you stated how can we do this with the storytelling and the and the narratives, we have to, we have to, because we are continuously writing history, whether mm-hmm. it's a book. Uh, technology has taken us in ways that you know it's possible, but it's also um, you know being used toward our extinction as well. And I think we have to really examine and investigate and look at these overt 
and covert ways that it's being done. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we can't be complicit mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. So yes, we do have other opportunities, and you know, like I said, on, on my on my worst day, you know, I'm telling you, if it wasn't for my faith and my spirituality, uh, and and my belief. Uh, and something, you know, outside of myself, it would be very, very tough uh, uh, just to be able uh, to talk to you. Uh, you've inspired me just based off of how we uh, connect. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we were supposed to. This was supposed to, I mean, this was, this was supposed to happen, you know. You know, I often remember... Um, when things got got bad, I can re- remember elders. I can remember my grandma talking about how we found a way to to make it a way out of no way, a way out of no out of way. no way. And yeah. I know that that even you know, and all the people who have inspired me, from Jimmy to Grace, often talk about you know, it's like they you know they're saying that we aren't, but we we will find a way, and yeah. you know. And and that's what we continue to do, and it's like, and that part how you're talking about having that hope, you know. And I mean, I often tell young people, I say, especially if they're black or brown, I said, do you know what they've tried to make sure that we aren't here? Every morning you look in their face and you see that, know that there's hope because you're still here. Yes. You yes. are still here, and you know, I mean, it is just. It is a phenomenal time that we are in. Barbara, I look forward to having more conversations with you to do it. I do as well. And I want to end on this note with a quote uh, Mm -hmm. from Audre Lorde. And I posted it today because it hit me, Mm -hmm. you know, to the point where, you know, and just, you know, thinking. And this quote is, without community, there is no liberation. But community must not mean a shedding of our differences, nor the pathetic pretense that these differences do not exist. That takes mm-hmm. courage. And that quote is by Audre Lorde. And mm-hmm. we can, you know, we can peel back those layers for it to mean many things to many people. But in this moment, it deals with the aspects of hope, conflict resolution, dispute resolution, being able to listen to each other, and for us to continue to create ways in which we will see tomorrow. That's it. That's it. I want to thank my guest, Barbara L. Jones, a lifelong Detroiter, community activist, organizer, and youth violence prevention advocate. Barbara is a community dispute resolution specialist and faculty instructor for the Center for Peace and Conflict Studies program at Wayne State University. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can also support the podcast by becoming a sponsor of Collections by Michelle Brown on Patreon.com. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on Google Play Music, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. 
Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.